All right. Well, um, let's uh, get into uh, to our time tonight. Does anybody need a Bible? Anybody needs a Bible? Raise a hand. We can get you a Bible in the back. Um, but it's good to see everybody. And, uh, you know, on a Wednesday night in the summer, I know it's always sometimes a challenge to, to get here. Some come from far away. <laughs> um, and so we appreciate uh, everybody being here. And we say hello to the Greens and the Shishuras and everybody else that's on vacation somewhere, somewhere else, right? So that's, that's good. So uh, Tim uh, started Jeremiah last week, so he kicked off uh, the intro and, and going through chapter, chapter 1. And so we're now picking up uh, in Jeremiah's uh, chapter. We're going to go through 3 and 4, good Lord willing. I think Tim said on Sunday he gave me till midnight, so I think we can cover it. Uh, with that, and uh, well, at least by 10. I think I could get it in by 10, right? Just kidding. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's get re- uh, reoriented here. So, um, you know, our good buddy Ty, um, Ty is always good at, at uh, reminding me of this uh, in that, you know, when you're studying the Old Testament, it's like, what's the Old Testament for, right? <laughs> You know, a lot of people just focus on the New Testament. So why the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament's there to teach us, right? It's to show us. It's to help us to remember and to not forget. And, you know, the thread of God goes from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to the last verse in Revelation. It's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And uh, we'll see that as we go through the passages. But the Old Testament's there to, you know, for instruction, for teaching, and, uh, you know, uh, rebuking at times and correcting and, and all those things, uh, but most importantly, it's there uh, to tell us that the Messiah is coming, right? And so, um, how do we know this? Well, God promised it, for one, um, and that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David in the tribe of Judah. And so, what's this Messiah going to do? He's going to save us from our sins once and for all. He's going to address the root cause of the whole mankind. And so, um, but the Old Testament also teaches us the lives uh, and history of a faithful, and then sinful, and then faithful, and then sinful, and then faithful, and sinful, and we could go on and on and on how many times, of a faithful and sinful people and nation of of Israel. Why? Why would we want to go through, (laughs) you know, reading and hearing about all that? Sounds depressing, but it's so we learn to be faithful (laughs) all the time. And not to, to be sinful, right? We want to be a faithful people. But we learn from their, uh, their lack of faith and, from, uh, and learn from their shortcomings. And we learn who God is and that, you know, we have to just have the realization we're never that far away from desolation and destruction, right? It, and uh, even in uh, Jeremiah, he reminds us our hearts are deceptively uh, wicked, you know, I would just add apart from the Lord, right? If we don't have the Lord, our hearts are deceptively wicked. So in the Old Testament, we have sh- uh, shadows and types, uh, or in this case, foreshadows, foreshadowing, um, and, and it really is pointing to what? What's, the, what's it pointing to? Well, it's pointing to not just what, but who, and that's the Messiah, right? The coming Messiah. And oftentimes, I miss the grace in all of this. Um, you know, the Old Testament's not just fire and brimstone. It's not about a cold-hearted, ogre God. It's, uh, it's a God that is very long-suffering. Many, many chances to come to Him and come back to Him and come back to Him, you know, again and again. And we're going to see that here tonight. This book screams of His grace uh, amidst an idolatrous, divided sinful nation. And so I'll say that again, amidst an idolatrous, divided, sinful nation, and as Tim said many times last week, sound familiar? (laughs) We're in an idolatrous, divided, sinful nation. So if we can't get anything out of this, (laughs) I I don't know, you know, I don't know how much more it can uh, apply to us. Um, You know, cold, cold justice, if he was just a cold ogre god, he would have just wiped it wiped everybody out, right? I mean, he would have just taken care of this idolatrous nation. But he's, uh, it's not just cold justice, it's, it's loving justice. It's a loving justice that saves a remnant, right? He saves the good. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. 
God keeps his promises, but he still remains a perfect judge. So he keeps all of his promises, but he's perfectly just at the same time. So he has to deal with a tough, idolatrous, divided nation. You know, the issue the Israelites had is they were entering into, you know, into the promised land. Canaan was a rough place. It was an idol-worshiping, you know, people. It was, you know, a mess, right? They're sacrificing babies. I mean, the, the practices were horrific there. And so God wanted them obliterated, right? Remove all of this. Why? You know, uh, because he wanted to, uh, um, you know, he wanted to purify the earth. But now Israel is an idolatrous nation, so why not the same fate for Israel? They're now uh, worshiping idols, and I guess I would say, why not us now? <laughs> I would put us into that same category. And it's, you know, this is for lessons and teachings and rebukings, as we just said, for us, because God loves us enough to teach us. <laughs> He's trying to teach us, you know, hey, don't be this way. (laughs) And he's giving us example after example. So the timing of these writings, uh, and Tim covered it, was uh, 626 B.C. to 586. And Tim will always talk about pulling out his his king's chart, and he had a uh, a much more colorful one than I did. But, um, you know, 626 is when Jeremiah started, um, and he went through to 586, that's an important date. It's the Babylonian exile. So Jeremiah was the prophet uh, that was, he was the prophet during the last five kings of the uh, southern kingdom known also as, as Judah. And so if we remember what Tim was teaching, you know, that the kingdom was already divided. So you have the 10 tribes that were in the northern kingdom, the northern kingdoms called Israel. The southern two uh, tribes are the southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah, so as we read through, it's Israel uh, and Judah. And uh, what we know about the north, or what we remember about the north, which at this point in time, the north's already been taken captive. But when we studied the kings, that there was never a good king at all in the north. So there was not a righteous king at all that ever served in the northern kingdom. And tuck that away for later, We'll, we'll touch on that. So this book is also, it's a foreshadowing of Christ. It's speaking to and seeking an idolatrous uh, kingdom. He's seeking the least, the last, and the lost, just like he always does. He's seeking that lost sheep. Again, our God is a very long, long long-suffering God, and for that, we should all, and we all are, very, very grateful, right? And that that means a lot to us. Um, A.W. Tozer says this, and I'd, I'd read this at another time when I was up here, but it really applies to this teaching. And it says, The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. So I'll say that again. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. So it's not just worshiping an idol. <laughs> I'm just going over here. It's actually you're, you have thoughts about God. <laughs> that aren't worthy of him that are leading you to this idol. So in other words, uh, we don't like what God's saying or what God's doing in our life. So we're like, ah, I hear you, but I'm going over here, right? So that's a thought that's unworthy of God. Um, uh, God doesn't know what's best for me, you know. He doesn't know what's going on in my life or he's, he doesn't care about me or he's forgot about me. Uh, maybe I have misplaced anger towards God. Something happened, bad happened in my life and now I'm mad at God, and I'm angry at God. And Tim would rightly correct us and say, you're mad at the wrong person. You should be mad at Adam, not God, right? It's not God's fault that uh, the circumstance is there. It's Adam. So we might have misplaced anger towards God. Um, or perhaps, you know, you're thinking, ah, eh, God, you know, yeah, I, I worship God. I love Christ, you know, but, you know, I, what's, what's the big deal if I, you know, do a couple things over here? You know, I've got, a, you know, I got some issues over here, I, I, I worship this idol over here, I do too much of this. You know, all of those are, you know, thoughts that are unworthy of him, but they start as a thought that's unworthy of him that leads you, well, you know, away from God into this idolatrous uh, way. And this is wrong thinking. It's not worthy, you know, of God. So how do we, how do we avoid this then? So how, 
you know, what do we do? And so, well, we have to have only worthy thoughts of God. All right, well, how do we do that? And, well, we have to know the essence of God. We have to know, know God. We have to read His Word, breathe His Word, live His Word, you know, pray His Word until it's really just, you know, enveloping us and it's overcoming us. And that's uh, to the point, if we can, till it's all we know. Uh, it seems hard to do that, right? It just seems hard to do it today, and, uh, and it is for some reason hard to do it. Uh, but it was also in 600 B.C. for the Israelites to do it. So again, we have something in common with the Israelites. Even though that was, we're talking to, you know, about folks at 600 B.C., we really haven't progressed much, you know, from this area, so, uh, from, this, uh, uh, from this situation. So here we are, 2021, you know, we're kind of at the same point, right? So these words are being spoken to us, the offshoots of the remnant, if you will, some 2,621 years later, you know, the message is a, is a timeless message. The question, I guess, is are we listening? <laughs> are we listening? Now, Lori will rightfully tell you that my listening skills as a husband <laughs> is not improving over time, right? And so I'll admit it, you know, it's getting worse, right? And so I have, makes me stop and think when I was asking you this question, I have to say, <laughs> well, how are my listening skills towards God? Are they following that same pattern? Uh, am I getting sharper with my listening skills to the Lord? Or am I, am I going the other way? And so um, the question, I guess I would turn then that to you, is are you listening? Are your listening skills sharp towards God today? Or are they dulled? Or are they even, are you deaf? Um, and so, it's a heavy question to leave you with, but let's pray about that before we go any further. Lord, help us to hear you, Lord, uh, here tonight. Whether you whisper, whether you sign language to us, whether you scream to us, whether you shout, yell, grab us by the shoulders, Lord, whatever you can do to get our attention. Get our attention to so we can solely focus on you. Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive us for our unworthy thoughts about you. Correct us, rebuke us, chasten us with your fatherly love. For we know your loving kindness leads us to repentance. Help us to always know that you will never leave us or forsake us, and help us to never tire in repaying it back to you the same way that we will never leave you or forsake you. If there are any here tonight that don't, don't know you, that haven't repented from their sins. Lord, love them unto it tonight, right now even, as we pray. And if there's those among us that have been, uh, that have been backslidden, that have left their first love, you know, Lord, love them unto repentance, even as we pray right now. Feed us your words, your wisdom. Feed us you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit afresh so we have perfect vision, perfect hearing to hear, hear your words tonight and always. In Jesus' name, all of God's children said, amen. All right, so be it. So our audience is Judah and Jerusalem uh, tonight. And Judah and Jerusalem have a choice, just as we do right now. So this book, again, should speak to all of us as the living, breathing Word of God, uh, just as it should have to Judah and Jerusalem. They have a choice to obey and enable the power that gives life, or they can continue in their idolatry. Um, entertaining and engaging so many thoughts and pleasures that are unworthy of him. So it, I know in these chapters that we're going to read, um, it's a little bit challenging because there's a lot of bad stuff coming Israel's way, and it's a little dark, and uh, you know, the message isn't always easy. It wasn't easy for Jeremiah to, to give this, right? And Tim taught about he had to be girded up, right, for this, and he wasn't really that receptive to wanting to do it. Uh, but watch for Jeremiah's encouragement, you know, prophecies that are still being fulfilled today wherever hearts are turning, right, from their sin and being transformed by God. So we see that. Watch for those glimpses as we go through it. So Jeremiah, yeah, he was known as a weeping prophet, you know. I mean, I say it jokingly, but I would have cried if I would have gotten this mission too, right? This would have been a tough one to take. But he was crying to a nation, but he was also crying out, for a nation as well. 
So last week, Tim talked about a a few things here. He talked about uh, Jeremiah was a priest. He was from a family of priests. He was from Anatoth, which was a city of priests, and they were located in Benjamin, uh, the other tribe in the southern kingdom. And God God started speaking to Jeremiah uh, during Josiah's reign. It was in the 13th year of his reign. And uh, that puts, you know, Josiah was the one who became king when he was eight years old. So that means he was 21 when Jeremiah, God first started talking to Jeremiah. Some scholars think that they were roughly the same age and that they were friends. They knew each other. So so Jeremiah was a young young guy. Uh, Jeremiah was called by God before God even formed him in the womb. He called him. He knew he was going to call him. But he also uh, formed him in the womb. We, We learned that as well. God stated his case against Israel through Jeremiah. God showed very vividly through the marriage example that his bride, Israel, had been so unfaithful. So the northern kingdom, you know, we'd already heard about um, how unfaithful they had been, playing the harlot, seeking so many times until now other false gods, right, violating the sacred law of God that was established with them. They were told not to do this. This was the exact thing that God didn't want them to do, and, and they did it, right? And God showed them very vividly through, uh, through, that, uh, through, the, through that example. And not just that, that Israel had forgotten God. Um, as Tim stated last week, that um, they didn't even have scrolls. They didn't have the Word in the temple, right? They had forgotten God, you know? But God also said to Israel, as we start here tonight in verse 1, And as he says it to us today, it's a timeless calling in a way. Return to me, says the Lord. Even though Israel was such, uh, you know, such an idolatrous, you know, harlot, God kept saying, return to me, says the Lord. And so Tim left us last week with a teaser. He he finished one and two, and then he went to verse 14 of chapter three. And verse 14 is return to me. O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So Tim wanted us to focus on, <laughs> I am married to you, right? After all the stuff that he just taught us in one and two, which was the idolatry and, and how horrible it was, he wanted us to hear that um, God said, I'm married to you. Return. I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm still here. I'm still married to you. I, I want to be with you. And so in Jewish law, a man could only divorce his wife and not the woman divorce a man. So even though the wife, Israel, in this case, and Judah that we're talking about tonight, had played the harlot, which is not just grounds for divorce, it would be stoning even, right? Would be to be stoned. God says, return, for I am married to you. So he's not condemning Uh, his wife in this case. And this should not be a surprise for us on this side of the cross because you can remember where the woman was caught in adultery and they were trying to trick Jesus and they brought her to Jesus and they were saying, hey, we caught this woman in the act of adultery and uh, our law, you know, law Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? And so, you know, he was writing in the ground and all that. And he said, well, I say anybody that hasn't sinned, you know, cast the first stone. So the old men dropped the rocks first and then the young. And then he said, woman, who's, which one of your accusers here is left to condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither will I condemn you. Rise and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so I know everyone knows what John 3.16 is, but a lot of people don't know what the next verse is, John 3.17. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And so that was in John 3. So God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So when they brought this woman to him, (laughs) he was like, well, who's left here to condemn you? Well, I'm not going to condemn you either. It's not his will. His will was to save. And so this is the same God, right, that is in Jeremiah that's in the New Testament now. And so uh, if that's not grace, I don't know what is. And it's a perfect foreshadowing of God saving me from my sin 
taking the penalty for my sin, laying aside his perfect and just right to divorce me, to have Israel and Judah stoned, me stoned, U.S. stoned, you know, you, you put whoever you want in there, but says instead, return to me. You know, please give me that love, <laughs> you know, for my bride, for my family, for my church, for, for everybody, right? We want to be uh, like him, right? It screams, you matter to God, no matter what you have done. I mean, that's the main point. This, this is why he sent his son to die for us. It's the same God, the same agape love that tells Judah, the harlot, the idol-worshiping nation, return to me, you are still my wife. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the same God that sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. All I could say is, wow, right? That's right. Praise the Lord. Do you feel loved right now? (laughs) You should, and so should I, and I do, right? Even though I am not worthy. Thank you, Jesus. And we didn't even get through verse 1 yet. All right. So Jeremiah 3, uh, title on mine says, Israel is shameless, right? Which is not a, obviously a positive title, and that repeats as well a little later down. It says, they say if a man, verse 1, they say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet, he says, return to me, says the Lord. So in Deuteronomy 24, we, we, uh, verses 1 through 4, you see the law of Moses that talks about that. So the Jewish law was that if a man divorced his wife for whatever reason and sent her off and she got married to another man or her husband died or whatever, um, he couldn't take her back. He could not remarry uh, her. And it was... For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So that would have brought sin into the land. And so why would God, <laughs> how could God, right, want to uh, divorce is Israel and Judah because he'd have to, <laughs> that means he couldn't take them back. You know, once gone, you'd be gone. Right? And that's not who God is, and that's not what he did. He said, yet return to me. He said, I'm not leaving you. Right? Verse 2 says, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where have you not lain with men. By the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and wickedness. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 2, you know they were called back then to Utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their small g gods on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. And you'll see that that language elsewhere in Jeremiah. And so they were to go in and destroy all these places. And here um, he's saying, where have you not lain with men? So it was so many it was easier to say, where didn't you do it, than where did you do it? And so, like an Arabian in the wilderness, an Arabian horse is going to cover a lot of ground very fast. I mean, this, you know, they polluted the whole land, uh, is the point, with their idolatry. And so, with their harlotries and their wickedness. Warren Wearsby said, Israel acted worse than, a, than common prostitutes who at least waited for their lovers to come to them. For Judah had pursued false gods and repeatedly committed spiritual adultery with them. That's how bad, you know, Judah has been here. Verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. And uh, the study Bible that I had says, uh, instead of saying it that way, it said, You have the brazen look of a prostitute. So brazen meaning shameless but also brazen being like brass, like bronze, being out in the street, <laughs> in the sun, you know, you know your, your forehead was, was burnt like tan almost. And even despite you doing that, you refused to be ashamed. Israel was not, uh, Judah was not ashamed. Zephaniah 3.5 says, The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the the key thing here, but the unjust shows no shame. So the unjust shows no shame. It, 
Judah was in an unjust state. Verse 4, will you not, will you not from this time cry to me? So God is actually saying, like, I'm going to give you a question. Like, could you at least just say, man, like, cry out to me this way? He's given them the words to say even. Will you not from this time cry to me, my father, you are the guide of my youth. So will, will he remain angry forever? So it's very dramatic. Are you going to be mad at me forever? You know, he's just asking you, like, asking Judah, would you just say this to me, right, so I could at least answer you? They're, he's not, they're not even doing that for him. Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done even thing, evil things as you were able. And so in Isaiah 57, 16, it says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. So God says he's not always going to be angry, but he just wants them to cry out to him and say, Man, you know, just please ask me this, right? Why? Because he's a forgiving God. God wants to forgive and he yearns for a truly repentant heart, right? And that's just the same today. It's the same exact message today, right? He just wants a truly repentant heart. doesn't matter what you did, what I did. Man, just come to the Lord with the repentant heart. Cry out to him. He's yearning to hear, hear us. So a call to repentance. Mike was even saying it when he was up here. It was like he knew what the message was, right? So verse 6 says, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on, notice the words, every high mountain and on, under every green tree, and there played the harlot. So just like the Deuteronomy passage that said, what are you going to do? You know, obliterate every, every idol under every green tree. Well, here it is again. Uh, that ever under every green tree, uh, what Israel has done. And so Israel, now they're talking about the northern kingdom, right? And we know at this point in time, the northern kingdom has already been taken over, right? They've already, you know, the Assyrians came and they're, they're already pulled, pulled out. And so what he's saying is, Judah, have you seen... <laughs> Right, And I said, after she had done all these, or I'm sorry, the Lord has also said in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? So the northern kingdom, didn't you see what backsliding Israel has done? She did all these things. She did the same things you're doing to me right now, is basically what he's saying. And in Jeremiah, later on, they're going to talk about Judah doing the same. Verse 7 says, And I said, after she had done all these things, meaning Israel, after Israel had done all these things, I said, return to me. I told Israel the same thing that I'm telling you now. Return to me. But she didn't return. Israel wouldn't return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So Judah, the southern kingdom, was watching it all happen. And so there's no, really no excuse for Judah Right? And all I could say, this is like a word picture for misery loves company. I don't, I don't know. I mean, how else can you describe it? Ezekiel 16, 47 says, you did, not walk, you did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. So what Judah's doing is even worse in some ways. Verse 8, then I saw that all, for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Okay, you remember what we said earlier. <laughs> you know, if you give her a certificate of divorce, that means you're not coming back, right? Yet, her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, it, but went and played the harlot also. Hmm. Just didn't learn. And this makes it even harder to understand why Judah and Jerusalem wouldn't learn. <laughs> and then again, I have to look in the mirror and say, wow, am I learning? <laughs> uh, what am I learning at this time, right? So verse 9, so it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Uh, so in other words, took the stones, took the wood from the trees, made idols, right? Carved images, they made idols out of the stones and the trees and the land. And so as Tim taught last week in Jeremiah chapter 2, you know, verses uh, 7 and 27, well, 27 says, saying to a tree, you're my father, 
into a stone, you gave birth to me, right? I remember reading that. For they have turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. So they've turned to, to stone and trees instead of the Lord. Verse 10, and yet for all this, her, and you'll notice this word multiple times, treacherous sister Judah has not returned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. So if you're like me, I don't use pretense. So I'm like, all right, I have to look that up. Pretense means an attempt to make something that is not the case appear to be true. So it's a false claim. So yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, meaning it was a fake. It was, you know, it was lip service. It wasn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't from uh, the heart or not the whole heart. Under Josiah, and Tim had taught about it last week, that, uh, you know, Josiah looked kind of like a, a reform was going on. He got rid of the idols. They were, taking, they were tearing down some of the places. You know, they were making some headway, but apparently it was just on the outwardly side. It was, hey, they were doing it because the king was telling them to do it, and they did it. But it was in pretense. It was really false. It was, wasn't uh, under the surface. It was just a uh, kind of a false appearance. It wasn't a heart-changing experience. Uh, it wasn't true repentance. Uh, Warren Wearsby says, Even today, when political leaders claim to be born again and are willing to promote evangelical causes, going to church, reading the Bible, becoming the in things to do, but you wonder how sincere these people really are. True Christian faith has never been popular, and the road that leads to life is still narrow and lonely. So why is it, I just ask, why is it so hard to make the best choice? You know, why, why is this so hard? If we went to the store and we had an unlimited amount of money to go, what would you buy? You'd buy the best stuff, right? I mean, you would, you would just do it, right? It's what you would do. And so we're free to choose the best in this case, which the best is like, way better, and then like there's just like really no second place. There's God, and it's way down here. So why is it so hard to choose the best, right? He's the best by such a long shot. Uh, verse 11, then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Verse 12, go and proclaim these words towards the north. Okay, that first part, or that verse 11, shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. I mean, I don't know if you'd like to be described that way, right? Because we just talked about what Israel was like, and now they're saying that Judah is, uh, you know, they were more righteous than Judah. So verse 12 says, go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, <clears throat> so this is again, they're saying towards the north. So that means they're like pointing towards the northern kingdom that's already been taken captive, right? And we know this from 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 6. It says, In the ninth year of Hosea, which was the last northern king, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halab and by the Habor, the river of Gozon, and in the cities of the Medes. So remember, I said earlier, tucked this away, that the northern kingdom didn't have one righteous king. So they had zero righteous kings. So how can that kingdom now be more righteous than Judah, right? So another question that came to my mind, which is, can you be totally succumb to the flesh, be unrighteous, live unrighteously, but still have a pure thought? I would say not apart from the Lord, right? Um, you know, but it's the Lord's kindness that leads to repentance. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you've got to come to repentance. You've got to renew your mind. I mean, even though, again, that you're in a desolate, desperate state like Judah is, I mean, they're worse than Israel is what they're saying. And some of us might be saying, oh my gosh, I've just done way too much bad stuff for God to ever love me. You might think you're too far gone for God to love you, but that is just the lie of the devil, right? God is saying, 
Re- and look at the next verse, the next statement. Return, <laughs> backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. Meaning, I still love you. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm a merciful husband beyond compare. There's no other husband like me. Just come back, <laughs> right? And so, um, so how beautiful is that, right? And that's what the Lord says to us, right? No matter what you have done, you can't outdo the Lord uh, with His love. So it continues, I will not, okay, see what it says now? I will not remain angry forever. So before he was trying to give him the question to ask, you know, will you stay angry with me forever? He's saying, now he's answering it. I will not remain angry forever. Verse 13, only acknowledge your iniquity, right? That you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So just confess, admit it, own up to it. And so when he says, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord, God is calling us often, (laughs) you know. All the time. He pursues his lost sheep. He's coming after us again and again. And I asked the kids in Sunday school a lot. I said, hey, do you love Jesus? So I ask you guys, do you love Jesus? <laughs> okay. Jesus in John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So then they usually think about that after I say that. <laughs> you know, I've got to keep my commandments. But it, he's just saying, obey my voice. He's the voice of the good shepherd. Right? So just admit what you've done and that you've not obeyed my voice, it's a timeless calling. It's the same calling we have today. You know, just, just fess up, whatever it is. Whatever's weighing you down, whatever you think is too, you're too far gone about, just own it and just fess to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've just made a mockery of this and I made a mockery of you. And I'm sorry. You know, repent with a truly repentant heart. And he's there to say, man, I'll take you back. Return, uh, verse 14, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for this is the verse that Tim had had us read, right? For I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding, right? In Ephesians 4.11, he says, and he himself gave him some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, Acts 20, 28 says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So he's going to provide teachers and prophets, men of God, for them to know and grow with Jesus as the ultimate good shepherd. But Israel lost knowledge of him, and it's happening to us as well. So that's what leads to us entertaining thoughts that aren't worthy about God. Uh, Verse 16, then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in in the land those days, say the Lord that they they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. So this is speaking of the kingdom age, this is looking forward, right? Um, they're not going to be looking for the ark because they'll have the new covenant, the blood of Christ, right? The remission of sins, Christ in us, laws written on our heart, not, uh, not on stone. And so this had to shock the Jews that were hearing this because they were like, man, what? I'm not going to hear, what? The ark gets like God to us practically, right? And so this had to be shocking to them just like Jesus told them, hey, tear down this temple, I'll build it up in three days, And they're like, what? It took 46 years to do this. What are you talking about? And he was talking about him, right? And he said, you're not going to worship in a building or a mountain. You're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And verse 17, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. Jesus is coming, and he's going to rule over Jerusalem. In those, verse 18, in those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. (laughs) They're going to be united. They shall come together out of the land of the north and the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. I just wrote promised land restored, 
right? It's this great hope and reassurance. So even though it's tough stuff, <laughs> we know ultimately how this ends. But they still have to go through some things here. Verse 19, but I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. Verse 20, surely a wife treacherously, treacherously departs from her husband. So have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. A voice was heard on the desolate heights, verse 21, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, and here we already said it, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Verse 22, return, you backsliding children. Still not giving up on them, right? Return, you backsliding children. And this time, though, uh, look at what is said, and I will heal your backslidings. So it's the great healer, right? He's going after the root cause this time now. I'm going to address your backslidings, why you are backslidden. Warren Wearsby has a funny story where he said a friend would always pray, and he would always go, and Lord, you know, just remove the cobwebs of my heart. And so that was like a pattern forming. And so when his friend knew that he was going to be praying that way, and after his friend prayed, he said, and please, Lord, take care of that spider too. <laughs> you know? yeah. Because, you know, if you don't address the spider, I mean, the webs are just going to keep coming back. So if you don't address the sin, which is the root cause, you're going to keep backsliding over and over again. Even the man that they brought through the roof to Jesus, right, uh, he healed his sins. He said, your sins are forgiven first before he healed his affirmity. So the Lord's kindness leads us uh, to repentance. Hosea 6.1 says, come and let us return to the Lord, for he, has, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And so he, Hosea 14.4 continues, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. And so verse 22 continues on. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Verse 23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. So there's no salvation from idols, small g gods, right? They can't do it, but, it's a, but abomination comes from them, but no salvation uh, and uh, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So salvation is mentioned 166 times in the New King James, from all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It's in Psalms. It's in Isaiah. It's the key message of the Bible, right? Salvation, being saved from our sin. That's the whole story. And so verse 23, it says, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So Zechariah 9.9, 9, we, we often know this as the triumphant entry verse, but it says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Acts 4.10-12 through 12 says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And here it is, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name in hev under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So salvation is truly in the Lord, is the salvation of Israel, right? It's in Christ Jesus. And we know uh, the the scene where Jesus is going up to the well in Samaria, you know, they wanted to go around, and he said, no, we're going straight. And he went in, and he met the woman at the well, and he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, right? But the hour is coming, and now is, when a true worshiper when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He's going to tell us all these things. And He said, I who speak to you am He, right? Salvation 
came to the Jews. Verse 24, for shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth. Uh, Hosea 9.10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. Sounds good, right? (laughs) But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They They became an abomination like the thing that they loved. So not only did they love the idol, they became like the idol. And so careful what you approve, <laughs> careful where you, who you hang out with. And I guess I would even say, you know, that's, you know, really kind of how addiction works, right? You know, <laughs> you're attracted to something, you love it, and the next thing you know, you become like it, you know? And that's what they said, you're going after these idols and you've just become like it. The verse continues, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Verse 25 We lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers. Ah, confession, right? Um, From our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of our God. So again, obedience enables the power that gives life, and uh, they just struggled with with that here. So, Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah laments over Judah. And here, we're going to hear from Jeremiah. This is going to be, you know, his heart pouring out for his nation. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. So that means if you're coming back, (laughs) make sure you're coming back to me and not the stinking idols that you had before, right? Return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. So I guess what that triggered in me was how. How can you put away your abominations out of the Lord's sight? Well, God will not see our sin when we're in Christ Jesus, right? Tim will often talk about the, the courtroom, right, when you go in before the judge. And, you know, if you don't have Christ as, as your Savior, you know, you're going to be judged on your own righteousness, and so when God, Jesus is there, he cannot see you. He only sees his son, so he can't see his sin. So that's the only way you can put away the abominations out of my sight, right? But he wants a truly repentant heart. Verse 2, And you shall swear, the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. So in Deuteronomy uh, ten twenty. It says this, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and you shall, hold, uh, you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So verse 2 says, and you shall swear the Lord lives. So you should take oaths. And that was 1400 B.C., so they knew this verse, right? Then the verse 2 continues, the nations shall bless themselves in him. So in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, it says, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Genesis 22 is even earlier than Deuteronomy. So they've had these verses. They knew these verses. They should have known these verses, right? And they should have been giving him the glory. But the people, again, are saying the right things, but they're not really meaning it in their heart. So it's kind of like praying praying to God, um, you know, but not putting away the, the idols, right? Oh, yeah, God, you know, forgive me. I'm going to put these idols away. But instead of, like, taking them to the fire pit, you're, like, sticking them in the cupboard in the back, like, yeah, and maybe I'll get them later when you should be getting the fire as hot as you ever did, throw them on, and then throwing about 800 more logs on the fire to totally get rid of them. It's like you're praying, but yet you're still holding on to it. It's kind of like uh, Saul... <laughs> when he was supposed to take out the Amalekites, and he goes, you know, the Lord told him, wipe out everything, even the livestock, and he came back, and Samuel was like, what did you do? He's like, what do you mean? Well, you were supposed to get rid of everything, and he's like, I did. Well, and there's like, well, all those sheep over there, were, they weren't here when you left. They're, you brought them back. Oh, that's just a few sheep. Don't worry about it, and that was an abomination uh, to the Lord. He didn't put it away. So it says, for thus says the Lord, verse 3, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground. 
and do not sow among the thorns. So obviously we know the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 7. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and, uh, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So don't sow among the thorns. Verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Again, as Mike was saying up here, it's always a matter of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart. You men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire. Why, like, why am I saying to do all these things? Well, so because otherwise my fury is going to come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So this, again, it should be no surprise to them. Deuteronomy 10.16 tells them, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked lo- no longer. They've heard this message before, right? And they, they just aren't listening. Um, Oswald Chambers said a Devo a couple of days ago, and it, uh, I'll just say this verse out of it. It just says, A person is simply a slave for obeying unless behind his obedience is the recognition of a holy God. So a person is simply a slave for obeying unless behind his obedience is the recognition of a holy God. They didn't know God, right? They were just saying, yeah, we'll be obedient to the king, get rid of some of this stuff, right? But they really didn't know God. They didn't recognize God, and it's a shame. So starting in verse 5, this is where uh, imminent invasion, and we're going to see this more in chapter 6 later, Uh, about the invaders coming from the north who are going to bring judgment. So verse 5, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet in the land. So once you hear that, you know trouble's coming, right? So blow the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go to the fortified cities. Verse 6, Set up the standard toward Zion. So they were going to seek to go to Jerusalem. So, okay, everybody go to Jerusalem. And then we're going to see in chapter 6, they're going to say, get out of Jerusalem because the enemy's coming there too. So take up refuge, do not delay, for I will bring disaster from the north, which means the Babylonians, and great destruction. Verse 7, the lion has come up from the thicket, and the lion often represents Babylon. In Daniel 7, it says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. It's like this is Babylon coming. And the destroyer of nations is on his way. So when they say destroyer, it often refers to Babylon, but sometimes it also refers to to Persia as well. He has gone forth from his place. To make your land desolate, your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. For this, clothe yourselves with sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. So if you look at back towards chapter 2, verse 35, chapter 2, verse 35 says, Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger will turn from me. And so now, in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. So they were wrong, right? And it shall come, verse 9, It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes. The priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. So go back to chapter 1, verse 18 for that. If you recall that from last week, it says, For behold, I have made you this day, so this is God talking to Jeremiah, a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the the people of the land. Right. So here we are in verse 9. The heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes, the priests will be astonished, and the prophets will wonder. Verse 10 says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God. So Jeremiah is responding to this. Surely you have greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. 
If you remember, the prophets were telling them, right, oh, it's going to be fine, no, peace, it's, this is peaceful, they're not going to be here, it's, it's no problem, right? And so they were basically given over to a lying spirit. And so uh, there's a similar story in 1 Kings 22 about Ahab when they were trying to get Ahab to go to uh, Ramath Gilead, and so they, uh, they gave him a, a, they gave the prophets a lying spirit, if you would, so that they could get Ahab uh, to go there, and uh, it was as if, like, the, uh, the study uh, note on that is, the Lord had given the 400 prophets over to the power of the lie because they did not love the truth and had chosen to speak out of their hearts. So similar to 1 Kings 22, here we are, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem. So he's kind of saying, God, why did you, you know, deceive the prophets to say everything was going to be fine and it was going to be peaceful? Well, God sometimes uses that to get um, his point across and to, for his judgments. You know, and those people, you know, you know, the false prophets gave them a false sense of security. They told them it would be okay. They were kidding themselves. Ah, oh, we have the temple. We have the ark. We're religious. Heck, we even have a few little gods here in case, <laughs> in case it doesn't work out, right? We'll keep that. We'll keep it in the cupboard and stick it away there. So like many today, if feeling that rituals of baptisms or confirmations or whatever are going to save them, right? They're lulled into a, fence, a false sense of security and salvation if it doesn't come from the heart. If you don't have a truly repentant heart, right, again, it always comes down to the heart. Verse 11, at that time it will be said to his people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse. So this was interesting, a dry wind that's a Sirocco or Camson is a hot dry wind that blows sand or dust. So if um, you remember, it says, verse 12, it says, A wind too strong for these will come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. So when they were winnowing grain, so you separated the grain from the chaff, and then to cleanse it, you would blow the dust from the grain. This, this uh, Sirocco or Camson was a, was a wind that was just so powerful, it just blew it all away. So it basically took away the good and the bad. So it's saying... A wind, something's coming that's just going to take you all away. So 13, it says, Behold, he shall come up like clouds, and his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are plundered. O Jerusalem, verse 14, wash your heart from wickedness. Repent from your sins. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But the second part says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So in verse 14, wash your heart from wickedness. It's the same thing. Verse 15, for a voice declares from Dan and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. So you have to go to the maps again, right? So Dan was at the very north of Israel, up the top. Mount Ephraim was just above Jerusalem, so for a voice is declaring from Dan and proclaims of afflictions from Ephraim means the enemy's moving swiftly. It's coming towards uh, Jerusalem. They're making swift progress. Later in Jeremiah 8, it says the snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. So, I mean, this, this enemy's coming quickly, and they'll hear more about that. Continuing on in verse 15, the city and those who dwell in it uh, verse 16, make mention to the nations, yes, proclaim against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and raise their voice against the cities of Judah. So they're talking about Babylon again. Verse 17, like keepers of a field, they are against her all around. Because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord, your ways and your doings have procured or caused these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches to your heart. So it's the people's wickedness. It's their own actions. It's their refusal to admit, to confess, to repent, right? This is coming. So starting with verse 19 and, and through the close here, uh, Jeremiah 
this is where he has sorrow for the doomed nation. So this is where he pours out his heart here. 19, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I mean, that sounds very, very vivid, right? So, I mean, if I'm pained in my heart and my heart's making a noise inside, I mean, that's pretty rough, right? I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of a trumpet, the alarm of war. And so how heartbreaking this is for Jeremiah to see his people and his land. Verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. Verse 21, how long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? So how long is this battle even going to last and how long are our people going to be able to stand? Verse 22, for my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. In Romans 16, 19, it says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So that's Paul saying, hey, you should be wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. Uh, You'll see in verse 22, they were wise to do evil, but to do good, they had no knowledge. And Wearsby says it simply, if the people would only have been as skillful in holy living as they were in sinning, God would have blessed them instead of judging them. (laughs) And again, that's just a timeless message for us today as well, right? If we could be as as skillful as holy living as in sinning, God will bless us instead of judging us. And I've just put sound familiar looking in the mirror. Verse 23, I beheld. So the next four verses you'll see, um, you could even underline it. It's I beheld, I beheld, I beheld, I beheld. So verse 23, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens they had no light. 24, I beheld the mountains, and they in, uh, indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. So four behelds, Jeremiah's beheld. Uh, beholden. He's witnessing this horrific destruction. Uh, The one uh, commentary said it's like creation was being reversed in a way. Verse 27 says, for thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate. Here we go though, there's some hope, glimmer of hope. Yet I will not make a full end. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop shy, right, of what I could do. It's God's mercy tempering the total judgment of what Jeremiah just said. So he's still tempering it. Verse 28, For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken. I have purposed and will not relent. So the only way he's going to relent is the same way. Unless it comes from a repentant, truly repentant heart, and they return completely to the Lord, he, he can't relent. He's a perfect just God. Um, Nor will I turn back from it. Verse 29, the whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. They shall go into the thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken and not a man shall dwell in it. So there's no safe place, right? Not even the fortified cities are going to be safe for them. Verse 30, and when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself in crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. And so in 2 Kings 9.30, it might sound familiar. It's the similar language. It says, Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She had put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window and you know, shortly after that, she was done, right? And so they're saying the same thing here uh, of Judah. Verse 31, For I have heard a voice as a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child. 
the voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself, she spreads her hand saying, woe is me now for my soul is weary because of murderers, which is the Babylonians, right? So this is, this is truly uh, you know, heartbreaking. Jeremiah's heart is breaking and, and it's, uh, there's not much you can do to sugarcoat this. This is what's happening. So though this is a tough ending, Again, we know how the story ultimately ends, right? So never lose hope while we take heed of these words. Again, they're here to instruct us and to remind us who God is and that He will never leave us nor forsake us. We have a long, long suffering God. Now, it doesn't mean go out and be a harlot. It means, all right, we got a chance, right? No matter what you are doing, God is going to call you back. Return to me, He's going to say. If you are backsliding like Israel and Judah and Jerusalem, return to Him. Admit it. Confess it. Repent it from the heart. All the sin of your life. Be the remnant that will be restored and strengthened and grown into His likeness, all for His glory. And if you don't know Him, listen for his, to His call for repentance. It's the same process. Admit it. Confess it. Repent from the heart. All the sin in your life. And hear His voice as He says, follow me. Surrender your life to me, says the Lord. So next week, we're going to pick up with Jeremiah 5 and 6. Chapter 5 picks up um, Jeremiah resuming his vivid descriptions of the wickedness of his people of Judah. So still going to be some tough, <laughs> tough treading through that scripture. And chapter 6 is where Jeremiah envisions uh, the future Babylonian attack on Jerusalem. So God bless you all. Um, uh, thank you for being here. If there's anything we can uh, pray about for you or anything we can do for you, uh, come see us about those things, and uh, safe travels for wherever you're going back to. So God bless, and thank you.